Thank you for joining us at the Roundtable. Brought to you by Community Education Arts, a nonprofit organization based in Noblesville, Indiana. I'm Alice Cavanis Gober, President of CE Arts. And I'm Sarah E. Morin, Secretary of CE Arts. Let's sit down at the Roundtable. Welcome back to this year's NICE discussion. What you got next? My next one, I'm, I'm really contemplating not even talking about it, but I'll, I'll mention it. It's called the Mosquito Coast, the Mosquito Coast. I, for some reason, I have trouble saying that. It was uh, published in 1982 by Paul Thoreau, and I might not have pronounced his last name correctly. Um, it's basically a story told from the viewpoint of a 14-year-old boy, Charlie Fox, and it centers around uh, Charlie's father, Allie, who is a brilliant inventor, um, and there's always a quote that comes after that with nine patents, six pending, you know, who becomes increasingly critical of consumerism in the United States and education and culture and all that. And they, he sort of forces his family to drop out, if you will, and move to the Mosquito Coast. And it is, it is the, it's, it's in one, two, three, five parts. Uh, the book is in five parts. And, um, you know, the first part is when he decides to move his family from Hatfield, Massachusetts to escape the influence of the United States and the world war that he fears is imminent. And they move to La Mis Mosquita, I, I, the Mosquito Coast in, on, in Honduras. And so they're going to live on, you know, that's the banana boat travels and then they're at the ice house at Geronimo in you know it, it just each part takes a different physical location in their journey and uh it's it's an interesting and uh he, he becomes Allie becomes a family bully if you will I mean he's forcing his craziness on his family in ways that can be very uncomfortable to read about and and think about um you know and th there's charlie and his brother are kind of caught in that and it's it's a it's a it's an interesting book it's pretty long um again divided into parts i i feel like it might be too long but i think in terms of themes and visuals and and you know having so much of it take place in a non-united states country there's a lot to work with uh, and so that's why i had it on my list um and plus we we haven't really i i don't think we've really delved into um a lot of contentious or or controversial parent-child relationships and this this book certainly you know certainly covers that so just a thought that's interesting um i as i'm googling this what would you do without google um it looks like it was like a tv series in the 80s with harrison ford and um i yeah i think that the parent-child relationship because you're right. The only one I can think of is how Jane Eyre is mad at her Aunt Reed. <laughs> That's right. the one I can oh, think about. In, in the Harrison Ford movie, I think it was a movie, I'm not sure, whatever it was, um, is actually uh, a lot of people will have seen that um, mm -hmm. and be familiar with the story through that. Was I, I want to say River Phoenix played Charlie, but I could be wrong about mm -hmm. that. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. But um, 
uh, it, it's definitely um, has scenes of familial tension and, you know, that kind of crazed bullying father that you don't think of Harrison Ford playing that part, first of all, you know, and, uh, but it, it, second of all, that's a, that's a, a challenging father figure, you know, um, so there's a lot to discuss. There's a lot to discuss. I don't know. It, it just seems like it might be a, if not this year, some year. <laughs> it looks like, you know, the quotes that I'm seeing do seem to to have some juicy imagery in them about death and decay. Mm-hmm. You probably find a, a mm-hmm. telling passage. Yeah, there's a lot of metaphorical, you know, language and situational uh, scenes, if you will. The author gives us scenes that you know it Im- are imbued with you know, metaphorical everything, whether it's visuals or, you know, uh, what's happening in the scenes and things like that. There's a lot going on. So I don't know. I feel like we we could probably come up with a good uh, standalone passage and kind of use that to jumpstart the podcast discussion of whatever theme, theme or themes we want to focus on. So interesting. it's a possible. Do you feel like, because I see that it's set in Honduras, mm-hmm. do you feel like it has any sort of accurate representation of Honduras? Is that not really what it's supposed to be covering? Well, I've never been to Honduras, and I don't really know what Honduras was like in the 80s when this was, I think, published 82, I said. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't really feel like I could speak on that authoritatively. I think we'd have to do a little research on critical reaction from um, uh, different uh, communities. And, you know, it's kind of like one of my books on my longer list was King of the Gypsies, which was, you know, a a true life story that had to deal, had to do with Roma, Romani, you know, uh, culture. And it's very um, awful in terms of stereotyping and negative portrayal and stuff like that. But it was a, it was supposedly published in the 70s, a true, you know, it was it was offered as a true story and it was received as this is what, you know, gypsies are like, you know? And so I think we have to be careful about that. And I I think with, with this book, um, it's been a while since I've read it, so I'd have to reread it. And I think we'd have to do some research on how, um, other, uh, reviewers or critiquers, if you will, have, have, looked at especially more recently i think when books come out you have one reaction you know one time period reaction do they endure do those books get more different reactions later on decades later so we could be looking at delving into that i i don't have a simple answer to your question in other words okay that's fine i was just curious yeah very good okay well my next selection is the Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Orsi. Um, And it's a 1905, it's a novel series. Um, I'd only really look at the first book. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we need to cover the whole series. Um, So, but the Scarlet Pimpernel, um, basically it's set in the French Revolution. And so we have um, an English aristocrat, Sir Percy Blakeney, and he leads a double life. 
he pretends to be a wealthy fop and he's going over to France to get the latest fashions when in reality, what he's doing is sneaking out French aristocrats to safety so that they won't be guillotined. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's appealing to me because it is kind of a, a swashbuckling, um, you know, champion and he's so witty and you just get to see how he's playing everybody. And there's, there's fun scenes with swords. Um, and he has a whole league of people who help him. And so it's that band of brotherhood, um, his wife, Marguerite, there's a, a question of, you know, is she actually loyal to um, the regime that he is fighting? And so there's, there's a fun love story there and, and guessing, you know, whose side is each one really on. But the reason why I like it is that you can see how this character went on to inform many characters that are popular today in Zorro. the Marvel <laughs> universe. Yes. Or also, you know, like Zorro or the Shadow or mm-hmm. Phantom, Superman, Batman. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm thinking Alter Ego, yeah. We 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 are in <laughs> The world of the Marvel Universe mm-hmm. right now that is so big that is our American mythology. So I feel Shout like. Shout out to Moon Knight, right? <laughs> right. So, as much as we credit Stan Lee, and I love Stan Lee, mm-hmm. it'd be fun to look at this woman who was creating the prototype for our, our Marvel heroes. Yes. Um, I also, there's a, a musical called The Scarlet Pimpernel, which I greatly enjoyed when I was in college. And so I can just hear the songs in my head as, as we're going along. So uh, I think this one would be fun to do. I think that um, we could have the Scarlet Letter and the Scarlet Pimpernel. And just yeah. kind of <laughs> Two totally different types of stories, yes. <laughs> um, I think the Scarlet Pimpernel, I love that because it is kind of, like you said, the prototype for that, that um, you know, double identity thing. And as a kid, um, Tyrone Powers, the Mark of Zorro movie was just my absolute favorite movie. And in my teenage years, I discovered Zorro the Gay Blade, George Hamilton's George Hamilton's tongue-in-cheek hilarious take on the Mark of Zorro. So this, and I should say the Scarlet Pimpernel, um, the film that Leslie Howard was in, who played, he played Ashley Wilkes in Gone with the Wind. He did the Scarlet Pimpernel very early film. I want to say in the, in the late 20s or early 30s. It's a very kind of grainy, you know, black and white, but um, I'm very familiar with the basics of this story. It's been a while since I actually read the book. So, mm-hmm. um, and I don't own a copy. So find, you know, getting the book and, and finding a passage in it and everything might be a little challenging for me, but um, that's true every year, right? For some of the books we pick. So um, I do like that we could uh, focus on that crime fighting or you know revolutionary alter ego and tie that in with the marvel universe and the batmans and the moon knights and the superman and you know all that kind of stuff i think that would with spider-man who else i mean there's just a, a wonder woman i mean you know we got wonder woman was was also a dual identity so i mean we could we could do a lot with that um i have a feeling that uh like um a couple of my selections the writing style is going to be a little old-fashioned for some people so we'd have to pick and choose a selected passage really carefully but i like i like the scarlet pimpernel <laughs> i'm a fan you know yeah no i i think you're right because um it's been a while since i read the mm-hmm. book but yeah you can tell that a lot of the remakes there have been some beautiful remakes richard grant made a wonderful scarlet pimpernel mm-hmm. um 
but you can tell that they have lifted and combined some essential stories mm-hmm. rather than you know tell every little single episode because um, it really makes a more coherent and compelling plot. Okay. All right. Okay. That's a good one. What else you got? Um, I have 1989's Like Water for Chocolate Next by Laura Esquivel. And again, I might not have pronounced her last name correctly. Um, basically, this is a book that's divided into 12 sections um, named after the months of the year, starting in January, ending in December. Each section begins with a Mexican recipe, which is intriguing. And the chapters connect each dish to an event in the protagonist's life. That alone is unique enough to intrigue me, okay? Um, The novel's main protagonist is Tita de la Garza, and she's 15 at the start of the story. Um, And it has a lot to do with her relationships with her mother, her older sisters, neighbors, um, uh, love interests, uh, marriage, uh, children. It's just very, 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 very complicated story themes, self-growth, violence, uh, physical violence in a lot of ways, Um, also kind of a more uh, emotional bullying violence uh, like that, Um, passion, uh, rebellion, food, obviously, Uh, and the meaning of the title, I did want to say this was an interesting tidbit for me, like Water for Chocolate's full title is, like Water for Chocolate, colon, a novel in monthly installments with recipes, romances, and home remedies. Okay. <laughs> and the phrase like water for chocolate comes from a Spanish phrase, which I am not going to try to pronounce because I will not pronounce it correctly, but it's a common expression in many Spanish speaking countries. And it means that one's emotions are on the verge of boiling over. Um, and so in also in some Latin American countries like Mexico, hot chocolate is made not with milk, but with near boiling water instead. Um, when this book was published, it was pretty much considered, you know, one, one of the one of the critics, uh, I think, referred to it as, quote, an overly rich fable, you know, end quote. And um, it is. It is about Mexican feminism in 1910, if you want to think of it that way. Um, but it's it's also, in some ways, another you know Cinderella hearth set story. You know, you know Cinderella at the hearth, one that connects cooking to sorcery and servitude. And so I kind of like those themes of it. And you know, for all that, there's a lot in it that. Um, might might seem hard to understand because you know it's it's so complicated you know it's not a simple read i don't know how else to say it it's really rich it is a rich fable i don't know if it's overly rich but it's rich it is like a rich and wonderful you know mug of hot chocolate so <laughs> so i kind of i wanted to put this one out there um i think we would have no problem with a standalone passage because it is beautifully written it has some lovely passages and there's always recipes you know we could always just pick a recipe as a standalone passage you know <laughs> i we could finally finally get our cake decorator i know wouldn't that be something <laughs> I, I this one sounds intriguing um i have not read this one i have of course heard of it mm-hmm. um but we've been looking for a few years now to highlight 
um, some sort of, um, you know, Mexican, South American, Central American author. Um, and it, it looks like here is one who's also a political activist from Mexico. So, I mean, that that alone, I think, if we're trying to seek diverse voices, that's that's one that I think would definitely meet that criteria. Yeah, it would. It, it's it's just got so much in it that I think for our podcast we would be we would be challenged to, you know, simplify the focus to, you know, certain themes or something that we really could deal with in the time frame that we have to discuss. That's the trouble with picking four books. We always pick four things that are just so incredibly rich that it's it's sometimes hard to just focus down a little bit. And this is definitely one of those one of those. So, yeah. But yeah, this, this one's going to be high on my, my list, I think. Okay. Join us next time as we continue our discussion of our nice books. This has been At the Roundtable with Alice and Sarah E. of Community Education Arts. Our nonprofit organization is based in Noblesville, Indiana. You can find us online at cearts.org. We'd like to thank James Weston for writing our intro music and for his technical savvy. Join us next time at the Roundtable. Table.